Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to, and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and on today's show, I interview Operations Officer Graham Kirk from the Country Fire Authority in Victoria, Australia. Graham is responsible for delivering his organisation's promotional programs for leading firefighters and station officers. During the interview, Graham talks about his passion for leadership and how the Country Fire Authority's promotional program is designed to meet the unique challenges faced by his organisation. Operations Officer Graham Kirk, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Stu. Thanks for having me. Graham, you started your career as a recruit firefighter in 1990. Since then, you've become one of the most respected station officers across the state, senior station officers. What sustained your passion for emergency management throughout those years? Yeah, look, uh, early on, Stuart, was about uh, getting a career. You know, I used to be a motor mechanic and it was uh, quickly realised that I wasn't going to be a 60-year-old motor mechanic. I also had a passion to uh, lead and develop people, always have, and I think uh, joining the fire brigade allowed those two things, you know, provided a career, but provided me the ability to uh, probably commence my leadership abilities or enhance the leadership abilities, learn the leadership abilities, and that's really what's driven me through all the years. To me, it's really about the people. The job we do is similar wherever we work, but it can be quite dissimilar on how people lead, and it's really uh, been a really important part of my career to, to make sure that I've developed and led people to the best of my ability. Really, that's what's what's given me the passion and drive throughout the throughout the years. I've had the opportunity to work with many of the people you have mentored over the years, and can I just say they are outstanding individuals. What is it you, that you do, or what is it that you do as a manager in order to create an environment where these people can flourish? Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I'm sure you, along with me and many others, have read many textbooks, been in many leadership forums, uh, delved into the the reasons of what makes good leaders. We've heard all the the standard responses and that. Um, I think it comes back to a, certainly, as you mentioned earlier, the, the you need to have a passion, but it's a passion for... Um, to a degree, sacrifice. And what I mean by that is that it's about uh, putting other people and other people's goals and objectives and development in front of your own, it, it, probably most of the time, so that we all know as frustrated as it gets when someone walks into the office and says, can I just see you for a moment? And you're knee-deep in uh, some pretty important work. It's that ability to drop what you're doing to a degree and provide 100% focus on another individual. And it's it's getting to know that individual. It's getting to know them in and outside their working life, I think is really important. And supporting that as a manager, supervisor, leader, both outside and inside of work. So it's uh, we can all talk about it and it's, it's often spoken about, you know, the traits of a leader and that. But to me, it really boils down to uh, sacrificing a little bit of your own time, not scared to provide the knowledge and skills you've gained as an individual and really getting to know the person, supporting the person both inside and out. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't set fairly high standards for people, but it's about ensuring that as a group, as a team, we individually and collectively achieve those standards and understand the importance of 
working within that team and keeping that team as as uh, productive and 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 focused on our goals as we possibly can. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's always interested me leadership, and I think uh, it will to the the day I leave, I suppose, and beyond. You you talk about leadership probably leads us on to the next stage in your career. And for the past three years, you've been looking after CFA's promotional programs for leading firefighters and station officers. What made you decide to take this role? Yeah, it's, uh, again, one of a journey, uh, Stu. It started in 1999. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to come on to the then programs as, a, as one of the assessors in a couple of the uh, components. Um, so, and I've been involved as a as an assessor coming out of station into into the assessment work and development work, uh, you know, for for just on eighteen years now, which has been really good. The opportunity came about to lead the programs um, at a fairly uh, challenging time. It was a time where Fistful was uh, closing or had closed, and uh, the programs were required to continue, you know, without uh, too much downtime. And there was an individual who coordinates our programs, Angela Bongart, who essentially was doing it on her own at that time. You know, there was a, a fair bit of challenge around that shift out of fistful. She managed to keep going. The opportunity, you know, in my career, at the stage of my career, to, to look for promotion was uh, was about right. And uh, to, to be able to work in an area that I've had a passion in, worked in on a part-time basis over over the last 18 years was uh, was really good. So I saw that I might have been jumping into the uh, the fire uh, in, in regards to the challenges, which is uh, which is okay. Um, but, you know, I saw there was a lot of opportunity to support the organisation and our people in, in uh, making sure the development programs were... Um, I suppose, you know, one transitioned out of Fistful and two, an opportunity to meet the growing demands um, of, a, of of society, of the community and the organisation. So, yeah, so I've been lucky enough to do that, doing that out of uh, Femtech uh, Bangham campus, uh, as you say, for the last two or three years. You mentioned you had to move the training from Fiskville Training College to Bangham Training College. What were some of the challenges in the move? Yeah, there was quite a few, as you could imagine. And first and foremost was the uh, probably the loss um, of that lived-in experience, uh, where the candidates uh, lived in the whole course of candidates lived in at Fistful and participated in the daily activities, but then had a an ability at night time to to gather and and gather their thoughts together. I think that was a really um, important non-structured component of the programs that we thought we could lose. Um, so it was about trying to create, create an environment that, that kept people together in their thinking and, 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 and existence so that they could keep that going. Resources was another huge thing. As, as you know, the Premier Training College had uh, resources um, throughout the training college that we could use on a, on a daily basis. So when we moved out... It was where we were going to do the theory components, which was a delivery uh, part of the program, and the practical really had to do on a, a practical drill uh, area, which uh, we, we chose and, and were directed down to uh, Bang, Bangham campus. So there was a while there where we were uh, completing the theory components at other locations 
Creswick, um, Melton and, and the like, and completing then the practical components down at Banghome, which was not ideal because we had people coming and going and the resourcing, both in a uh, uh, personnel sense and, a, and, you know, material resources in trucks and and uh, learning materials was, was quite challenging. So it's, uh, it's good to, to finally see the... Uh, late this year, we've finally realised our dream and, and got all of the components of both the leading and station officer programs at uh, Femtech Bangham campus, which has been great. You're part of a team that delivers the promotional program. So who makes up your team and what sort of role do they play? Yeah, the team's a really important aspect of uh, what we deliver and how we deliver. It's always uh, essentially come from station and district-based personnel to deliver both uh, the theory sessions throughout the course and conduct the uh, critiquing of command and control uh, sort of areas but it uh, they come along and also assess on uh, the assess- assessment week uh, as it is. We've been fortunate that we've been able to um, employ two full-time instructors uh, attached to the programs and as you mentioned that's essentially in line with the expansion or the growth and demand on the programs. Um, the program coordinator, Angel Bongard, as I mentioned before, has done an exceptional amount of work on her own uh, to make sure the programs transition initially out of fistful, but supporting the programs uh, right through to this day has been an exceptional and, and superhuman effort. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's really important that we still have that uh, link from stations to the programs in the assessment component, but as it grows, um, the need for, for full-time instructor only increases too. And you're right in what you're saying, Stu. Like I look back on uh, three or four years ago, and the, I think we had a total of around 30, 35 people through the programs, both leading and SO level. And this year, you know, we had capacity for 80 leadings and 60 station officers. So the the demand is just exceptional at the moment. And it's not that uh, we're looking at it as being a busy year. It's now just a normal year. Yeah, so the challenges remain. Graeme, how has the leading firefighter course and the station officer course been designed to meet the unique challenges of the CFA? Yeah, it's a really important uh, part of the program to, to get our heads around and understand and and deliver because as we know CFA, uh, CFA area of response is, is quite unique throughout Victoria from uh, regional centres to uh, certainly heavily urbanised area to industrialised area so we, we need to ensure that Developing our people in in the incident controller role, particularly, is able to meet those demands from day one when they uh, are qualified at, at either rank. So it's an understanding that uh, particularly the command and control is is strongly assessed over a range of environment, and in our case, that's uh, both in an urban or structural sense with our command and control uh, components and activities and also in a uh, bushfire sense, so with the uh, shoot and theory components also heavy, heavy component within the program as well. So I think uh, by extension, our aim or our view is always looking at how we do business and we, as you know and be aware, we operate under aims and in the control system that we align and want our people to have the ability as incident controllers to 
make sound and safe decisions as initial incident controllers, but also to remain incident controller until that transfer of control has potentially happened at a, a level three type incident. So we are really strong in our belief that uh, um, we provide our people for that scope across a range of environments because that's where we operate, across a range of areas in Victoria. Um, an important part of that is too is to make sure that the right standard is reached and the standard, you know, for me is ensuring that we're not over playing the standard, that it's at entry level for each of those ranks because if we're trying to expect someone at a leading or SO level to be above that initially, then, yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of shooting a little bit high. That said, if they achieve greater than entry level, then the quality is there as well. But, uh, yeah, so they're, they're some of the important things because the environment's so vast and, and varied across the state, we have to uh, uh, incorporate that into our thinking. What One of the challenges I think our newly appointed station officers face is that they could find themselves working in one of the most industrial parts of Melbourne and they could end up as instant controller at a, at a large going factory fire and the next week we could we could ship them off to the country and they might find themselves commanding or being instant controller of a 200 hectare grass fire. Yeah, it's it's quite funny. At the end of uh, some courses when uh, we, we deem people successful at whatever rank and particularly the station officer rank, you uh, you have a chat with them and, you know, they've been so focused on the promotional program itself and in in the study and the learning and the assessment for that that when uh, when we have the discussion and, and suggest that uh, they've passed all the components, you know, you almost see the, uh, the mind tick over going, oh, now I've got to actually do it. I, I forgot about that part of the bargain. So that's a really interesting point that they suddenly – quickly come to the realisation that they will be sitting in the seat, they will be making the decision. So um, what's been encouraging, though, is that I've always kept an ear out for people who have recently gone through the programs, again, particularly at SO level, who early on in their station officer career, whether it's in an acting capacity or full-time, have um, a job that's, that's uh, you know, Sprukes a bit of uh, interest, or or even provides a bit of um, interest to see how we have achieved and what we've achieved as in the promotional programs to make sure that that person was equipped. So I've followed up on quite a numerous occasions, talking to some people who have had a, a job fairly quickly in a decent or a reasonable size incident uh, early on, and just had a chat to them. So look, what do you think you might have done as incident controller? as a result of, of the program. So it's a quality check, if you like, and had some really good discussions in that with some really great feedback about um, some of the stuff we deliver and assess and, and highlight and develop people in. So that's that's a really good way of proofing what we're doing. So it's a bit like having an after-action review for your training, I guess. Yeah, it is, and uh, we get some good feedback you know, throughout the course, but you can get no better feedback than knowing people feel and are prepared to, to do the job. One of the unique aspects of the station officer and leading firefighter course is that it's a course that is created, delivered and assessed by field-based practitioners. So how important is it to have the experts in the field coming and assessing new candidates? Yeah, that uh, that peer uh, support as instructors and assessors is, is critically 
vital to the programs in a sense that it uh, it it holds it in a level of respect because people are being uh, instructed, um, shown, taught, and critiqued by people who are doing the job, and I think that's a a really important part of the part of the program. So. Um, it it gets harder and harder as the programs get busier and busier to to make sure we have that balance of uh, people from station and district life who've been doing the jobs and we have some passionate people, you know. As an example, in the bushfire components, you know, the the Carl Stibble is is a team leader in that. Uh, David Ferguson has been the team leader and still passionately involved, and Hugh Kelly is is another one. Now they're all from uh, regional areas in Victoria, and you know the the passion and drive that they have is just superb, and we wouldn't have been able to achieve anywhere near the results without those kind of people. And that could be said across all of the components, which uh, which um, we must maintain some link to to actual service delivery otherwise you know we're we're flying blind and creating a product that might not work in 2018 you've set yourself a or your you've set your team a very ambitious target eight promotional courses and that's four leading firefighter courses four station officer courses six weeks of assessment it's possibly the busiest calendar you've ever had to set for the promotional programs what's driving the need yeah i think uh primarily it's it's growth uh of the organization and growth in um you know the requirements of of certain ranks you know we know we 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 an organization that's continuing to grow to meet the expectation of a growing community and that means we are opening and and uh, increasing uh, certain manning on stations and that means there's a demand for people at certain rank um, I think one of the challenges is to meet an actual expectation and not be too uh, pushed by just do more we have to have a look at realistic targets and some time ago you know the, the programs were certainly there but uh, I, I can't find any rationale or reasoning about where and why the numbers were put through each year on the lower sense. So we're very much getting more, um, I suppose, for want of a better term, scientific about how many people we need, looking at some workforce planning and uh, some st- strategic thinking about how many people we need. So it is a really full year, uh, the full uh, courses being four leadings and four SAs. There'll be some reassessment opportunities in there as well. So it makes it really challenging for us to, to fit them in in a calendar year. But uh, we sit down, we, we get a few more grey hairs, we pull a few out and uh, we come up with a program that we hope suits the, the needs of our people and the growth of our organisation. To meet the demand of the organisation, you've had to change the structure of the course. So what is the structure of the course now and how has it changed? Yeah, um, the previous course structure was a uh, a three-week course, which was uh, a candidate course. That was where most of the learning and development and the critiquing occurred over three weeks. It was then, a, you know, back in the day, considered appropriate to go back to your station environment and consolidate that learning through, you know, discussions with other people, further self-study and those uh, and the like. Um, you then came back in about eight weeks' time to do a uh, an assessment on all of the components there. 
what we're finding is that um, a couple of things have occurred because of the amount of activity in the in the courses over the last two or three years. There is a really really large amount of people that have been through the programs, and that means for individuals to tap into an experience is really quite easy. Just about on every station, someone would have been through the leadings very recently and certainly the station officers. So the level of understanding of, of what the courses look like, what you're assessed on, is a much higher degree than it was, say, four or five years ago. That said, the, the structure is also in support of making sure that we assess when people are generally um, at their highest ebb in that learning and, and, and without uh, taking too much of a break it, because that break could in, include periods of leave, could include a whole lot of other range of activities. So we sometimes found that um, the break was actually detrimental um, to the to the outcomes and the success of individuals. So what's important now with the three-week course uh, still existing, um, we've uh, made some alterations within that to make sure it's, it's very much more streamlined and focused in its learning towards the outcomes. And fourth week is that week of assessment. So the, the whole course is now a four-week block both at leading and station officers, we think that'll provide a great opportunity for success because they're they're well in the moment and well in their study and well within their peer group of and cohort of study, and that that fourth week will find or um, uh, create a better environment. I think a lot of people went away for that eight weeks or so and got a little bit lost as individuals and lost a bit of focus potentially and perhaps got steered in a, a different direction, those sort of things. So um, so earlier this year through um, CFA and you a few uh, subcommittee, we, you know, this was agreed upon and, and we're going to uh, give it a run for 2018. I'm really uh, confident that people uh, will embrace it, um, but also it's important that uh, we also make people's lives a little bit friendlier too because people were more inclined to want to come for a four-week block then a three-week block, have eight weeks off, come back for another week. So there's a little bit of work-life balance in it as well. Given though now a candidate will come to the course, a three-week course, and then straight into the assessment, how is it, how important is it that they come prepared? Yeah, look, it's really important. And you'll probably notice that I've used a certain language when talking about the course. I'm not necessarily calling it a development course. Uh, I'm calling it a candidate course. Now, that's, that's you know, critical to probably understand that we are there to polish up and to refine and 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 certainly focus the direction of people's learnings, but uh, critical as you say that some study and learning and and preparation has occurred well before. So where they used to do a three week course, then spend about eight weeks, come back and do the assessment. We're saying, you know, there's there's ample opportunity once you've identified a course that you may wish to be attending or a couple of courses throughout 2018, that the commencement of that study should occur as soon as possible. Um, we've done a couple of things to support that and then just recently we've sent out to all of the career staff stations a, uh, um, a USB which contains a few videos of 
bit of direction, um, some documents that help focus the study as opposed to here's the here's a library, <laughs> go your hardest. It's uh it's trying to say, well, here's the library, here's the section and maybe these two or three books here, you need to have a really good understanding. So we've tried to support it in that sense. But you're 100% right that uh, we're hoping that what we've sent out, the early information we've sent out helps the individual to self-study and develop and put in a bit of a plan on how they're going to get there. But critically important is it also provides guidance to existing station officers, senior station officers and leadings on how to support their people in that development too. So they also understand the targets and goals so that their training is realistic and targeted towards uh, the actual uh, standard that we're requiring and not overshooting the mark and not undershooting the mark. The the candidates course trains incident controllers, but it also trains managers. What are the components of the course? Yeah, that's uh, a really important part. I think the people who come along to the course is very much um, feel the most stress and, and most uh, connection with the command and control and the bushfire because it's it's I suppose that uh, what they see and what they want to be known and respected for is that inter-controller role but the other components are just as important because you're right um, we have to certainly provide an opportunity to allow candidates to think about their attitudes think about their professionalism think about their ability to manage people that is critical for the role so in that sense, uh, there is a human resource management component which allows us to look at management techniques of uh, personnel. There is also a component that looks at, uh, we call it the in-tray component, but that's using and looking at uh, standardised CFA processes, rostering uh, forms and, and procedures and trying to get the standard correct at the at the word go, you know, and it makes conflict what people and some people do out there on station but we're trying to set the standard early that they can take forward it's got both the administration and operations legislation component which is pretty important that you can address one operational needs guided by legislation so that you are able to recall that information at an incident and and act on the guidance of those uh, of that legislation and the administration legislation is also important that you can field inquiries from the public, internal, external clients, and have a good understanding of maybe not the answers, but at least where to go to find those answers. Uh, there's a lesson uh, delivery component at both ranks, and that's a really important component because there's no more important role that a, a leading or a station officer in their supervisory role has than the development of others, like we've touched on earlier. So that's a really important part too. Um, so, yeah, in the bushfire component and in, in command and control is really important too. Uh, I think I've squared them all the way there. Imagine I'm a qualified firefighter and I want to apply for my leading firefighter assessment. What sort of preparation should I be thinking of prior to applying for this course? Yeah, I think um, I really would encourage the first port of call is, is to go and talk to someone and they'll be on your station and more than likely on your shift, you know, just to talk through the journey that they've walked um, in regards to what the program looks like, what the assessment looks like, because it's really important to understand the structure has changed for 2018, but the assessment remains exactly the same. 
on in those component areas. So, so I think the the first thing is to have a, a local chat with someone that's been through it, and not to necessarily you know find answers to that, but just understanding the journey of what the program and the assessment looks like. I think uh, get hold of the USB that's only landed on fire stations last week. Have a look through that in your own time and with a group of people. And then it's about understanding out of those uh, two areas about where to start your study. Now, obviously the legislation components require a lot of reading and understanding. Um, that can be quiet times at work or uh, for those that are interested in their own time. Um, the commonly used forms and, and those things, they are already in existence and already being used. So tapping into your existing leadings and SOs are a really important part. I think when it comes to the uh, command and control and, and the tutor, it is, it is about setting realistic uh, drills you know, and, and and objectives to reach in training. It's no good starting someone off who has not led people or performed the role of incident controller up with, you know, huge drills in the backyard. It's just going to set them up to be confused. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's about also um, in your learning, and I, I often provide this, I suppose, guidance to a lot of people is that, it's no good just sitting there reading and, and reading and reading and reading and trying to understand information. I think the best way is a couple of tools that we suggest that helps that that learning, and that is to actually um, train others, teach others in what you've learned. So if you're doing some bushfire theory and you're talking about objective setting, as an example, don't just do that on your own. Draw up some scenarios, some different scenarios on the whiteboard, set some objectives and then talk your shift through it, talk other people through it because that way you're consolidating your learning but you're also getting feedback through questioning and, un- and either understanding or a lack of understanding of how you're going. So, And it's important to think that um, you do this in a, in a piece of the jigsaw sort of component. You don't need to go through all and a full component every time. You know, do chunk it down to some important parts and then eventually the picture will all appear. So to verbalise stuff is really, really important. You know, we often get people in the courses that uh, come to a program and they've read and read and read and read, but when we actually ask them to commu- communicate to us and engage with us in a verbal sense, some of that learning, they struggle. So really important part that people communicate to others and verbalise their learnings through the teaching of others, but all walking around the house or the fire station sounding a bit silly, giving briefings or something like that. Really important that you you, you do that because uh, it is a the course is very interactive and the assessment's interactive and you must be able to verbalise your thinking and responsing and responses. Obviously, the candidate cause is hugely complex. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to impart? Yeah, I think um, it's important. To, it, it's something we've always looked at about the uh, the anxiety levels and the, and the pressure that people feel when they, they come to it. Now, in a weird sort of way, I, I, I actually enjoy seeing that to a degree because what that says to me is that it still means so much to everyone that attends on a personal level and a peer level and in a workforce level. So um, they bring a certain level of uh, expectation on themselves. Some people cope with that well, some don't. 
over the years we've we've tried to create an environment that says you know we're in an adult learning environment and it's about getting the best outcome out of these people um but that self-pressure and self-anxiety that's brought on i'm 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 still challenged every day on how, how we how we uh, uh mitigate that and i'm not sure we have the answers on that but i hope people don't fear uh the environment we've created we've come a long way in understanding that it is about adult learning it is about getting the best out of people and supporting them the best we can with that though the expectation is that they buy into the argument too uh we're not there and unable in a time sense to provide you know un unvetted time for study for learning and that you know we like to see them come well prepared and we'll you know square them up uh focus them in, in that delivery but f- it's okay to feel nervous it's okay to feel a bit of anxiety it's it's the same when you go for your driver's license or any of those things so it's it's probably accepting that and understanding that that's going to come along with it because we we do see a lot of people in um a really really strong and and uh, anxious state sometimes prior to assessment so again hopefully this four-week program settles them into you know uh rolling into the assessment week and maybe that'll take some of that away too so that's also important i, I think people do put a huge amount of pressure on themselves when they when they enter the candidates course and then enter the assessment but it is really wonderful to see that once they have successfully passed either their leading firefighter or station officer assessment just how proud they are of their achievements and uh, and how ready they are to then hit the ground running. Yeah, it, it really is. And I get quite a few phone calls and, and emails from people who have been through the program, both successful and unsuccessful. Um, but I think what's changed, I think, in recent years too is we're starting to get quite a few people seeking feedback on their performance through the assessment, even though they've been successful. Now, that to me has been a quantum leap too because it was always chased by the the personnel who may have been unsuccessful for whatever reason but we're finding a dramatic increase in the amount of people seeking feedback even being successful now you know I always ask them to start with why you're seeking this and it's it's really great to hear that they're talking about the understanding of the role is about developing others and they know that if they're only going to develop them to a 70 or 75%, then they're being a bit lax in their duty. So they want to continue their learning and understanding so that they can develop the next wave of people better. So that's really encouraging to hear and and good to to know that uh, for the right reasons, people are seeking that feedback and for self-improvement, organisational improvement and development of others, Yeah, which is great. Graham, this year marks 27 years for you in the fire service. Do you have any general advice you'd like to impart for those of us who are either just starting the journey in the fire service or midway through their careers? What advice would you give? Uh, yeah, it goes quickly. It goes really quickly. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, you know, uh, you turn around quite often and and think, where has it gone? Um, every part of life in the fire service is is uh different to to normal life i suppose you know and and the jobs that we all once held it's it's it puts us in a unique situation in uh in the community that we're respected to be in people's homes in people's lives and and generally at the worst time you know so it's somehow ensuring that we are the most professional and 
and um, prepared people we can be when those times come, you know. It's been a really, really satisfying journey for me, but again, you know, it's it's what uh, it's also the dedication and probably sacrifice that you put into it that you also achieve out of it. And again, me as an individual, I I very much like the development development and support of other people. It's it's always something that's uh, really been important to myself. But I think you know it'll change. The evolutions, uh, it, um, you know going to occur whether we're there or not and I've seen a change in my short time in the in their service and I think people just have to uh, evolve with that and the newer people in the service need to understand that there is still a need to be professional and, and best prepared they possibly can for when the time's needed and uh, I think if they keep that sort of work thinking and, and, and ethic up I think they're well prepared to take us forward. And lastly Graeme, who should I interview next? Yeah, I think uh, there has been, as I said, evolution continues and I think there's a really one part of training which I'm I'm knee-deep in now is is evolving quite quickly. I think there's been an evolution of uh, recruit training which has been a really uh, shift in in thinking now that we have the joint uh, recruit courses which are both the MFB and CFA. Uh, people on on the one course so I think it'd be great to get an insight on how those courses are making sure that we prepare our people but also um, provide uh, CFA's uniqueness and how that's still delivered in a a joint course so um, Alex Batty is one that's been involved in that quite heavily over the last period of time so I reckon that'd be worth, uh, worth having a chat about that so I think you know, and I'm probably going backwards here a little bit, but um, you know, when you mentioned the 27 years, I I think there's also a passion there to see us really develop um, uh, organisational and practical mentoring programs. I think we talk about it a lot, but I think it's really hard to visualise and see anything that is there in a practical sense. You know, we'll see the word mentoring on a lot of documents and a lot of. Uh, decision-making papers and this, but it's hard to actually visualise and, and touch something that is actually practically working. And I think some investment and time in in real real-time mentoring, side by side, person to person mentoring, is really important. And I think the other component of that is also the um, the ability to highlight and look at uh, case studies. I think we do that. We've changed a little bit and we do that to a degree, but I think uh, we could certainly take it to the next level in providing people that go out and actually walk you through these case studies. It's okay to have them, uh, you know, linked in a, in a, uh, the internet and, and within CFA or within emergency management um, uh, electronic media, but I think the need some explanation around that you know I've personally conducted a few after action reviews and some case studies have been built out of that and I think some really really solid learning and understanding that can be gained but I think you need the context of it as well not just a, a looking and, and touching and prodding and listening uh, I think you need people out there delivering these case studies to our budding incident controllers or existing ones because we can learn some really powerful tools out of that. Graham Kirk, on, on a personal note, thank you very much for all your guidance over the last many years that I've known you. 
And thank you very much for joining me on the Emergency Management Podcast. Really appreciate it, Stu. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, it's been a great experience. Thanks again. Thanks, Graham. Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed, go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. Please also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. You can also write to us at feedback at emergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker, and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.